Hold them up. Hey, this is my Bible. God's holy word. I can be what it wants me to be. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will not leave the same. All right, Matthew, chapter number 22. Matthew, chapter number 22. Third week of our summer series, Neighborhood and Nations. We get, I'm sorry, fourth week. Last was, we got this week and the next week. The title of the sermon, so we're going to look at the two parts, neighborhoods this week, nations next week. We'll get to it in here just a minute, but Matthew chapter number 22, the question is asked, who is my neighbor? I have a, turn this on, I forgot to turn it on. There we go, is it on? Yeah, it's on, okay. I have a question for you. How well do you know your neighbor? How well do you know, or I should say in plural, neighbors? I think most of us realize that when many times when we talk about our neighbors, spiritually speaking, going out and reaching, and we're talking about anyone that we run in contact with. But how well do you know your neighborhood? Maybe a better way to put it. So I looked up some facts about our neighborhood. We've got two zip codes that make up Westminster. Does anybody have a guess as to how many people live in our zip codes? For those of us that live in the 57, 211, 57, there's 38,000 people that live in 211, 57. The church is in 211, 58. 21,000 people live in that zip code. It's basically 60,000 people. How many people live in Carroll County? Does anyone venture a guess? 188,000 people live in Carroll County. I know we're in the midst of whatever we're in the midst of when it comes to ethnicity, race, whatever. We're all of one race. We're all a human race. Just because we've got different pigmentation in our skin. But does anyone venture to guess the ethnicity of Westminster. Seventy seven percent white, eight percent black, seven percent Latin, and four percent Asian. It's the average age of someone that lives in Westminster. This one surprised me. The average age of someone that lives in Westminster. 
33. 33. The average income? $61,000 a year. There's a quarter of a million houses. 250,000 houses in Carroll County. Who's our neighbor? That's the question. Because the commandment is to love your neighbor. Can I tell you that in order to love your neighbor, you got to know who your neighbor is? Love is not an emotion. But there is emotion in love. Love is a choice. That choice leads to action, and that action leads to feelings. Matthew chapter number 22, verse number 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're thankful that you allowed us to come and gather and worship on this holiday weekend. Lord, thank you for our great nation, Lord. Just continue to guide us, bless us as a nation, as a church, as a people, Lord. I ask all these things, your name. Amen. Again, good question, bad motive. It was a good question. Whose is my neighbor? But the fact that he wanted to tempt Jesus, the fact that he wanted to trick Jesus, uh, that he had an agenda. He thought that he was going to get Jesus to say something uh, that he could use against him. They weren't happy with Jesus. As we see in verse number 34, the Pharisees, Sadducees, again, 600 laws that had to do with the Sabbath day. So they thought. Ten Commandments summarizes. And Jesus goes even further and condenses it down to two. We're going to look at them this morning, but there's what's referred to as the three greats in the gospel. There's the great confession where Peter tells Jesus he's God. There's the great commandment, which we see here. And then the great commission, which is obviously Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Acts chapter number 1 is referred to that. But in those three things, we get the three areas of who is our neighbor. Here in Matthew, you get the what. You get the what of our neighbor. 
Flip over to Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. Verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, good question, but he's got bad motives. He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, and answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered us right, this do, and thou shalt live. Live. But he willing to justify himself, saith unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him upon his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showeth him mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. It's a cute little story. Be nice to people. I mean, that's that's what we get here in uh, Sunday school as as a child. I mean, you know, be nice to people. It's a cute little story. But I tell you, there's a whole lot more here than we even realize. Luke chapter number 9 condensed. Do what Jesus did. That's what a disciple does. That's what a follower does. Is they just listen? Well, they were called Christians first at Antioch. Why were they called Christians? Because they acted like little Christs. They did what Jesus did. We can't compromise truth. We can't compromise truth. And what we, uh, as independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Christians, we get stand up, hoot and holler. When everyone says, makes that statement, well, you know, can't compromise truth, and, and the Bible is truth. But can I, our actions speak louder than our words. We wouldn't dare change the Word of God. We wouldn't dare say that there's any other way to heaven. But by the fact that we're, we don't love our neighbors, the fact that we're not witnessing to our neighbors, 
truth is being compromised. What is that quote? All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. The fact that we... the <laughs> Inaction is an action. And we're compromising truth by the fact that we're not obedient to what God tells us to do. You're compromising truth. See, but we don't look at it that way. We don't think of it that way. We don't like that very well. We can't hoard God's grace. We can't hoard God's grace. It's heavy. We, we shouldn't do it, but I'm telling you, we can't do it. It's impossible to do. The fact that if you show someone God's grace doesn't mean you've got any less. You, listen, our whole series in Galatians for six months, hopefully you've grasped some of these things. You, you can't get any more of God's love, can't get any more of God's grace, can't get any more of God's mercy just by giving it away. What is it? What do they say about it? Mother? Mother can divide her love among all her kids and they still get it all? Every single one of them? It's the way God is. You still get 100%. But so many times we, we like putting on a show. We like putting on our nice clothes and driving in our nice cars to our nice padded pews and air-conditioned building and listen someone tell us how wonderful or not wonderful we are. We tip God, we throw in our 20 bucks and that's it. We put on a good show. I know I've said it, I know other people have, have said it lately, but listen, as followers of Christ, we made church non-essential long before the government said we were non-essential. If we're not actively trying to help people, most importantly spiritually, but also with their social and physical needs, we don't have a right to be called a church. And that's according to the gospel, the Bible. It's not me saying it. That's not man saying it. That's God saying it. Revelation, I'm going to come take your candlestick away. Why? Because you're not doing what I told you to do. You're not doing what I asked you to do. You're not doing what I commanded you to do. You're not doing what I left you here to do. Listen, I don't know about you, but you look around and and the world is a pretty messed up place. Why in the world would you want to be here? Why in the world would a loving God want you to be here? There's only one reason. To help someone else get to heaven. That's it. That's why you're here. Is to make sure that someone else gets to heaven. If you're not doing your... If you ever wonder why... Listen, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I know that it happens. I can't give you specific examples. But if you're not doing your job, don't be surprised if God takes you home early. There's 
Lots of people. You say, well, pastor, that's mean of you to say. Then it's mean of me to say, there's lots of people I wish God would take home early. Because you're giving us a bad name. Fighting and bickering and just doing all kinds of things. That's not what Christians are supposed to do. You're supposed to keep somewhat out of hell, not sit on your backside and tip God. Another church in the Revelation had all kinds of compliments. Then God said, you did everything that I asked you to do on the surface. You looked good. You played church absolutely perfectly. But your heart was far from me. You left your first love. Your heart was far from it. You want to know when you're playing church? When your heart's far from God. Playing Christianity when your heart's far from God. Ask yourself this question. Brother Mater likes to fish. On Sunday morning, you're sitting in church, are you thinking about fishing? Or when Monday through Saturday when you're out fishing, are you thinking about God? Listen, there's nothing wrong with going fishing. But listen, when your heart's far from God, you're sitting in church thinking about fishing. And when your heart's close to God, you're sitting in your boat thinking about God while you're fishing. When this young lawyer asked God the question, asked Jesus the question, well, who is my neighbor? He was expecting God to say a different answer. He was expecting Him to say, well, you know, the people that are like you. Think, think about it for a second. When you, on the surface, when we think about neighborhoods, drive through where the Coles live. Drive through the neighborhood. All the houses look the same. I mean, they might have a different color. Siding, I mean, it might be, you know, eggshell, or it might be, you know burnt sand or I mean, this is such a vague but, but no, and that's true of any neighborhood in America but they all look the same I mean, they're all built by the same builder and putting up all these houses that all and, and so they're, we're expecting with our neighbors the people that look like us the people that act like us people that think like us people be like So Jesus tells the story. It's 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it doesn't surprise this lawyer that this traveler was jumped. 
I mean, we all understand that it was a very dangerous time in human history, a very dangerous area in human history. So it's no surprise that, you know, he got mugged. Friday night, there was a guy that got mugged in Baltimore. East Baltimore. Somehow, a bunch of thugs got him out of his car and started shooting Roman candles and bottle rockets at him. He said he couldn't fight back because he had didn't have very much pigment and the other people had a bunch of pigment. So he said he couldn't fight back because he was afraid that he'd get accused of something. But I mean, stuff like that happens all the time in Baltimore or any big city. Listen, when I was a, when I was a teenager, the mid-1990s, we moved from Michigan to outside Cincinnati so my dad to work out of a church outside Cincinnati and Forgive me for exactly, but it was about a month straight. A, pro- and a little more, a little less than 30 days straight. Can't remember exactly. Someone was murdered inside the city limits of Cincinnati. Every day. At least one person for a month. I couldn't care. I mean, it was appalling and shocking to us. I mean, I'm from, you know, Podog Holler Sticks of Michigan not used to someone getting killed every single day, but to them it was nothing. We had a deep freeze in in Chicago and they thought for an entire weekend that no one died in Chicago, but then the Lake Michigan thawed and they started finding all these bodies. Listen, but it's nothing to them. That's what... So this lawyer's like, okay, so the guy got beat up. What's the big deal? Big deal is this that the pastor walked by. Just happened to be that the, the priest was walking by and, and saw him. Now you would think that a man of God would help. But he didn't. It says that he passed by on the other side. But can I be honest with you? There's a reason why he didn't. There's a reason why he doesn't help or didn't help the Samaritan. I mean, the guy that got beat up. According to Jewish law, if you got within six feet of someone who was bleeding, you were considered unclean. Yeah, they had social distancing too. Don't get me started. That's a rabbit trail I don't want to go down right now. Lord, help me. He's declared unclean. Now, he would, for seven days, now the way that the Jewish religious system was set up is that the priests were on a rotating schedule. I mean, obviously there was the high priest, and there was one of them, but they had lots of priests. And they were on a rotating schedule. There was at least one of them in the temple all the time. So when you sin, because, listen, you sin at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the morning, there was someone that could absolve you temporarily of your sins. 
sacrifice, you have to bring a sacrifice, and, and all of that. So there was always somebody there. Well, if you're declared unclean for seven days, guess what? You're out of the rotation. For seven days. You don't, you, don't, you don't work for seven days. You don't get paid for seven days. He would, would have been out monetarily. Listen, being a priest was a pretty big deal. Oh, you know, he's the, he's the priest that didn't work for seven days. All the chatter going on behind his back. He was... He had a social standing. That's why he didn't do it. Along comes the Levite, the religious person. The average church person. It's, he's under the same social guidelines, although I realize you know that he has a secular job or whatever. But still, I mean, he de- gets declared unclean. And Did you know so-and-so? They hasn't been in church for... Think, think about this. Just think about this. They were in the temple every day. I mean, even, even Muslims and other of the Eastern religions, they are in the temple every day. Devout ones. So if you, I mean, he's a Levite. He's a devout... Jew, he's in the temple every single day. Think about this for a second in today's vernacular, today's standards. Someone, someone hasn't been in church for seven services in a row. They're not here on Sunday, they're not here on Wednesday. They're not here on Sunday, they're not here on Wednesday. That's two weeks. Not here on Sunday, not here on Wednesday. That's three weeks. Not here on Sunday. That's, that's a month. Did you hear about so-and-so? They haven't been... I wonder what happened to them. They haven't been to church in a month. Are they backslidden? It was, it was too risky. He wasn't going to take it the chance. He had a reputation to think about. They resolved for inaction. They weren't, they, listen, they had nothing against this guy that got beat up. They just simply said, it wasn't worth the risk. It's not worth it. And so we're not going to do anything. We're going to, like an ostrich, put our head in the sand and not do anything. It doesn't exist. Not my problem. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to distance myself. It's out of my control. It's out of my responsibility. Pretend like it didn't ever happen. Along comes the Samaritan. And listen, we we know the story. But you do realize that Samaritans are half Jew. He's half Jewish. Remember, Jesus is at the well in Samaria and the woman comes to him and he says, listen, you say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. My 
family, my friends, my social circle, my culture says that it's okay for me to worship here. Listen, they were still worshiping the same God. They were still Jewish. They still had the same social requirements. Just as It was just a big risk for that Samaritan to get within six feet and help that guy that's got bodily fluids oozing everywhere as it was for the priest and the Levite. Can I tell you, it also takes a chance. Listen, there's no, no one was surprised that this guy got beat up and robbed. They, I mean, this is where they live. This is where the robbers lived in the middle of nowhere, between this road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Who's to say the robbers weren't going to come get him? And beat him up. Leave him for half dead. Take everything that he's got. He takes a chance. Then, when he he uses his own supplies to help this guy. His oil, his wine. Listen, it's hot out there. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. It was 99 degrees on Friday. I'm convinced they got to 100. They just didn't want to tell you it. I mean, there's just something about, you know, three digits. We did fireworks last night. 10 o'clock, excuse me, 10 o'clock at night. I, a, a sweat is just pouring down. It's 10 o'clock at night. It shouldn't be that hot anymore. As hot as it is here, you do realize that Israel is a desert pretty much almost on the equator. I was telling somebody that I was in Arkansas one time when I was in July, and these missionaries, they spent like 30 years in Ecuador, which is on the equator. That's why it's called Ecuador, right? 95 degrees, 95% humidity in Arkansas. And they're running around with coats on because they're cold. He puts him on his donkey in the middle of the heat. And he's got to walk. It's 17 miles. I mean, if he's in the middle of nowhere, that's at least eight miles. How many of you want to walk eight miles in the heat? My wife and Mrs. Kohler walking. She got de- Mrs. Cole got dehydrated. Listen, I get dehydrated fairly quickly also. I know what that's like. Lightheaded, dizzy, cramping up. Listen, I rode my bike. I decided to start trying to start riding my bike to work again once a week on Thursday. I could hardly climb the stairs. I mean, I thought I, I thought I was going to die. And that's only five miles. And I, I mean, it was warm, but it wasn't no desert heat yet. He already used up his supplies. He goes out of his way to help him. He assumes the risk and the responsibility. And Jesus asked him a question. And the, who's your neighbor? 
And you know what the amazing thing is? This is, this is how much the Jews hated the Samaritans. He can't even say it. He can't even say it was a Samaritan. He just simply says it's the one who shows mercy. He can't even bring himself to say it. See, the priest and the Levite asked if I stop, what will happen to me? If someone finds out about it, then I'm going to have to social, uh, you know, that I have to recuse myself for seven days and put up with the people uh, gossiping about me. If I stop and help this guy, what's going to happen to me? The Samaritan asked if I don't stop. What's going to happen to him? Remember what God wants from us? He wants us to be selfless. We should never enter the equation. It's not about self-deprecation. It's about we don't even enter the equation. The simple thing was, is there's a guy that needs help, I'm going to help him. John 3.16, what? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation begins with God. Our responsibility is simply to believe God. Our responsibility, listen, living the Christian life, it's the same thing as getting saved. Just believe God. Everybody running around worried about if they get the virus or not. Listen, get the virus, you get the virus, you don't get the virus, you don't get the virus. Yes, use wisdom. I'm not saying do anything stupid. But listen, think, think, let's break it down for today. There's somebody that's contracted COVID and they're on the side of the road in the middle of this heat and they can't breathe because it's a respiratory infection. What are you going to do? You're going to help them? Or are you not going to help them? Well, if I get too close to them and I, I don't have my mask and if I've got an open wound and they cough on me or, or all of these possibilities that could happen, why don't you just help them? And let God... Believe God. God says help them. And that's just a stupid virus. What about someone who's lost... Dying, going to hell. Listen, the, uh, the last time I knew the mortality rate of COVID was like 0.001. I mean, it's ridiculous. You want to know what the mortality rate of going to hell is without being saved? 100%.
We can't limit the who in our, and the who's our neighbor. It's not our job to worry about the exact who is. If God puts them across your path, they're your neighbor. Whether it's literally your neighbor, your work neighbor, your workout neighbor, the guy that pumps your gas, the guy that delivers your groceries, the guy that delivers your takeout. If God puts them in your path, it's your neighbor. We can't limit the who to, well, you know, they don't look like me, they don't act like me, they don't smell like me. You know what else we can't limit? We can't limit the wind. We can't limit the wind. Let's just be honest. The Samaritan was on his way. He was a businessman. He was on his way to a business meeting. And he did this inconvenienced him time-wise. It's an inconvenience. It cost him money. That was inconvenience. It cost him his goods. That's inconvenience. You're on your way somewhere and it's important. On your way to work. Some car's broken down beside the side of the road. What do you do? Well, I'm already late for work. Stop and see if they need help. Again, use wisdom. I mean, the Coles leave at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mrs. Coles driving by herself. I suggest you don't stop at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm just saying, use wisdom. If they're still there when you're coming back from work, it's daylight, then it might be safe. But no, well, I mean, it, it's going to be an inconvenience to help people. We can't limit the cost. We can't limit the cost. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's good enough that, I mean, I stopped and bound up his wounds and I put medicine in them. And it, prop him up on the side of a rock and here's the canteen, but, you know, that's about all I have time to do. That's all I can afford to do. It goes on your way. Okay, you know, I got a spare seat on my donkey. Hop in. I'll drive you to the hospital. But I'm not, I'm not going to stop or slow down. I'll just push you out and let you roll into the emergency. I can't, I can't afford to pay for it. I mean, I, I've already wasted my time. I've already used up my own supplies that were for me. I can't... I'll, Pay for it too. No, he says here, I know it costs at least this much. I'm going to give you a little bit extra. Take care of them. If it costs more, don't worry about it when I come back. I mean, there's a blank check. When was the last time we wrote God a blank check? Listen, there may be some people in it here that they've written a pretty large check in their life to God at some point in time in their life. But have you ever written a blank check? Whatever it costs, God. My time, my talents, my finances. 
my intelligence, my school, whatever. We looked at it earlier. Talks about bearing each other's burdens. You remember I had the boys come up with their golf clubs. If we only bear each other's burdens when it's not a burden to us, we're not bearing burdens. This is the first year that Colton got his golf clubs playing golf, and he struggles carrying his golf clubs. Can I just be honest with you? Not a big deal. It's really not a big deal. I can carry my golf clubs and his golf clubs, and it's no difference of just carrying my golf clubs. Now, yes, I'm taking a burden off from him, but I'm really not bearing a burden. Sometimes we better bear each other's burdens. And if we're not, we're not doing what God commands us to do. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying all the time and it shouldn't be a, a, something that you are a places your entire life. But there should be times in life when God asks you to do something and it hurts. Temporarily. It hurts. That's very... Listen, someone needs something and you have the ability to supply it, but hey, it's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt for a little bit. Some missionaries on the out in outer Mongolia, and wife is pregnant, and things turn south. You you hear about it. Brother Mater hears about it. He's always telling me he always hears about things from missionaries. He hears about it. He's been saving to go on a cruise. You can help get that missionary out, or you can go on your cruise. Well, I'm not telling them what to do. I'm just using that as an example. Listen, they really like to go on cruises. And they should enjoy going on cruises. There's nothing wrong with going on cruises. But every once in a while, you might have to say, you know what, I'm not going on a cruise. I'm going to help somebody. That hurts. Temporarily. Miss Debbie's got her farmer's market. She gives fruit away. That cuts into her bottom line. Brad works at mid- with Wendy's. If he starts giving burgers away, he'll probably lose his job. Don't, don't, don't do that. But what? Every once in a while, you should do something that hurts. Why? Because then you're bearing each other's burdens. How many of you would agree that the priest and the Levite were moral people. You'd hope that they were pretty moral. Upstanding citizens. We learned something from this story. Morality is a terrible motivator. 
Morality is a terrible motivator. Most of us think that's what the Christian life is about. Is let's let's just be moral. Not only is morality a terrible motivator, guilt is a terrible motivator. Listen, I can stand up here and, and you know, figuratively speaking, take us all out to the woodshed and give us a piece. This might work for a week or two. Guilt is a terrible motivator. It really is. Well, I mean, sooner or later you're not going to feel guilty anymore. See, it's not about how good or bad you are. People would say the priest and the Levite, they were good people. They would say that the Samaritan was a bad person just for being a half-breed. Horrible. It's not about how good or how bad you are. We're going to reach our neighbors. Was the Bible say, the love of Christ constraineth me? Love for Jesus. For those of you that worked on a bus route, snotty nosed, dirty faced, barefoot, who knows the last time they took a bath or shower once. Every fiber of your humanity wants to stay six feet away from them. Whatever they have, I don't want to get. That's selfishness. That's our flesh. That's wrong. But that's what, listen, I've been there. You've been there. So what causes you to week in, week out, go there and pick them up. It's not whether you're a good or bad person. It's not whether you're a moral person. It's not whether someone guilted you into it. Because you love them. For for some weird reason, you love the unlovable. That's the love of Christ. Why? Because He loved the unlovable. Us. We were filthy, snotty-nosed brats that had never had a bath in our life. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't stay six feet away? We've got to know our neighbors and we've got to love our neighbors. So if we don't if we don't know them, we won't know how to love them. I mean generally, yes, but there's listen, you don't uh, have you ever read the book The Five Love Languages or at least ever heard of it? Listen, we we both show and receive everybody show and receive love in different ways. And if you don't know your neighbor, you don't know how to show them love. Some people need words of encouragement. Some people are like, talk's cheap. 
prove it. Some people like getting presents. Other people couldn't care less. You got to know your neighbor in order to love them. And you better love them the way that God loves them. You can't be blackmailed into it. You can't be tricked into it. You can't be coerced into it. You can't be bought into it. Because all of those will fade eventually. It has got to be the love of Christ that constrains us. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're thankful that you allowed us to come and gather and worship, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to know our neighbors, to know them well enough to know how to love them, to how to help them. In only a way that you can. Where we can't be, can't be, arms can't be twisted, can't put a gun to your head. Eventually, listen, those things build resentment. Listen, there's a lot of people that grew up in church that resent it now. Why? Because they were strong armed into it and they never learned the love of Christ. That's all the motivation we need. We truly grasp and understand your love. As the piano begins to play, if the Lord spoke to your heart, come and do business with him.